Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. An entire island of Girl Scouts sounds like probably the most uninteresting place most of us could ever imagine to be trapped. But to the spirit of one woman, it's her only hope of finding some sort of peace. And a bunch of Thin Mints. And then we travel to Ashland, Oregon. To take a look at the story of a young woman who was out walking her dog late at night. This young woman always considered herself a very practical, pragmatic, logical person. But when she senses an unknowable danger staring at her from the darkness, she has no idea what's coming next. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. The birthday presents are still rolling in for your favorite podcast host. I'm sure Mark Marin uh, might, might be his birthday too, but I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me. I'm still getting them in and someone who just sent me a very deadly birthday present. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Everyone give it up. For Christina Belk. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in, Christina. She's sitting there. She's juggling knives. This person who listens to my podcast, she says she's been listening to my podcast for quite a while now, a couple years, decided to buy me a knife. <laughs> decided to buy me a Smith & Wesson combat blade. Now, we shouldn't blame Christina for my upcoming injury. Okay, no one, no one blame her. I did put it on my Amazon wish list, and she sent me this amazing note saying that her roommate, Dur Groberman, that's a that's a long-time listener. I remember Dur Groberman back in the day, introduced me to your show a couple years ago, and I've been listening every day since. Christina Belk decided to buy me the knife that I one day just put on my uh, Amazon wish list and didn't think anyone would ever get. It's a wish, right? I already dropped it. And I almost impaled my foot. So thank you, Christina Velk, for buying me the weapon of my upcoming massive injury. Christina, you're going to be the captain, the pilot this episode. She also said she loved the vehicles. If you guys can't support the Patreon, you don't have to buy me a weapon that'll injure myself. It's not her fault. I put it on my wish list. If you can't support the Patreon, if you can't buy me deadly weapons, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really, really helps out a lot. Now, before we get started, I do want to say this too. I don't like having a lot of intro stuff in the beginning, but this is super important. The Dead Rabbit Radio YouTube channel has once again been suspended. And listen, it's YouTube's thing. They can do what they want. They really wanted this video down. It was the episode I did about Aquarium Gate. And originally they said I was promoting violence. And so I appealed it. And then they said I was being a cyberbully. So they just didn't want the video up. I have a one-week suspension. I can't upload anything anyways. But going forward, 
we will not be uploading the podcast to the YouTube channel. We're going to keep all the past content there. There was an old episode. That episode came out probably about two months ago. All of a sudden, their AI didn't want that episode up there. I did also say, I think it was a lot about like AI control conspiracy theories, but they don't want it up there. Fine. They took it down. I got a strike. It can't upload for a week. Fine. Whatever. That's their right. But I don't, I'm just not going to upload to YouTube anymore. It's going to be strictly a podcast. And what we're going to do, we're going to see how this works, is I'm going to put up a note each time an episode comes out, because I still want to talk to you guys. That's why I like the, that's really the main reason why I uploaded to YouTube. So we could talk about the episode, so I can see your comments and get your feedback, and I could talk to you guys about stuff. So we're going to see how that goes, but no more episodes are going to be uploaded. I'm going to lean more into the TikTok as far as anything, and then I'll probably upload shorts. But YouTube may nuke it because of the shorts as well. I really want to keep it up to do live streams. But I'm not going to... I, it would suck if it went... I'll be honest. It would suck if the YouTube channel got taken down completely. Because that's four years of conversations between us. Right? That's the episodes you can find anywhere. But the comments and the conversations we've had and the laughs and everything like that, that'll be gone. That, that'll bum me out if the YouTube channel gets taken down completely. But going forward, no more full episodes on YouTube. But they'll still be available everywhere else to hear them. Hopefully we can get a little community post that we can comment on. We'll see how it goes, but I I can't play by the YouTube rules. Because YouTube rules are super strict. We can't talk about blood. We can't talk about killing or murder. <laughs> That's all you ever talk about, that and diarrhea. A lot of true crime YouTube, to avoid the filter, they'll say stuff like, he unalived her. I'm not going to do that, dude. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. People will say he graped her. Just say rape, dude. I mean, like, if you're going to talk about the subject, say kill, say rape. I won't play by that. And I'm not a cyber bully. Oh, okay, there might be, a couple of might be a couple episodes that you can say, well, Jason. Anyways. I'm not going to play by the YouTube rules. Those rules are set up. Those are valid rules for them and many, many other content creators. We're not going to do that. Um, I, I don't want to water down the podcast so I can just be on YouTube. I want to be a podcast. I want to be a podcast talking what we talk about. So sorry about that long intro, but I can tell Christina's getting bored. <laughs> she is getting ready to throw that knife at me. Christina, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jet. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command and take us all the way out to... Lake Yosemite. Jason Jet is rumbling across the west coast, splitting the blue sky in half, leaving chemtrails. You didn't know that? You didn't know that the Jason Jet, we also lease out to the U.S. government to drop chemtrails. We're headed all the way out to Lake Yosemite, which is in Merced, California. Beautiful lakes, like all lakes are. I don't ever think there's like an ugly lake. Right? You might be able to prove me wrong. You're like, oh, here's a lake of raw sewage. Okay, you're right. A lake of nothing but raw sewage would prove me wrong. But this, I, 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 think, that's a, I think it's a fair thing to say that Lake Yosemite is beautiful. I've never seen it. I'm sure it's beautiful. But anyways, it was many decades ago. Many, many decades ago. So what, like 50s, 60s probably? It was a hot summer. Dun -dun, but dun -dun -dun. People are like running along the beach in slow motion. They think that they're sick. They're like, why can't we run fast? They're running along the beach in slow motion. There's probably like a dude sitting there 
assuming I'm assuming at any beach you'll find a guy sitting there. And then you have a mother and her two young children enjoying the hot summer air and then jumping in the cool water. It's that real kind of combining of the elements. Splash! Look at me! Mommy, I'm swimming! One of the kids says, and Mom goes, That's the best swimming I've ever seen. And then the other kid goes, I can swim better than that. Splash! And the mom's like, Yeah, the first one was better. A mom and her two kids go swimming. And these two kids, they kind of like, they're adventurous, right? Super adventurous. They go, Why don't we climb to the top of that boat tower and jump off of it into the water? No, I don't think it was like a. I don't know how tall this thing was, right? I think a boat tower, which I didn't research the key detail of the story. I didn't look it up. But a boat tower, I'm assuming, is some sort of tower. You guys can't correct me in the YouTube comments on this one, so I can say whatever I want. A boat tower, I believe, is probably some sort of structure near a pier, right? So anyways, it doesn't matter. These two kids climb up a boat tower, and they go, Mom, look at us. We're king and queen of the world. One of them's a girl. And they both jump off of the boat tower but they didn't realize a key detail. The water was really shallow where they were at. So when they jumped off the boat tower, the first kid smashes his head into the rocks and instantly breaks his neck. Like, that's how shallow the water is. I don't know how they didn't see this. Maybe the boat tower is pretty tall, or maybe they're idiots. And the second kid also... This would suck, right? You're at the top of a structure... And you see a dude jump off, you know, a couple seconds before you do, right? And you're jumping off too, and now you're seeing him fall. Now at this point, he's probably like four or five feet ahead of you. And you watch him splash into the water and then see his neck snap. And you have about you have about 0.8 seconds before the same thing happens to you. That would be the worst, right? I've always said... Being eaten by a cannibal isn't the worst thing. The second person to be eaten by a cannibal is the worst thing. Because you can watch the first guy get pooped out of the cannibal. That was a very specific that was a very specific cannibal-related episode. I can't believe YouTube doesn't want this show up there. It would be bad enough to smash in the water and break your neck, but to be the second person, like watching that guy break his neck and being like, oh no. Anyways, no matter what the order was. The mother was besides herself, obviously, right? She just saw her two children jump into the water and snap both their necks. Well, she is, like, totally freaking out. People see this, and the authorities are alerted. This is decades ago, so someone had to go find a payphone. I'm sure there was one nearby. I don't think they were, like, on their speedboat and went back to shore, but the authorities showed up. And by that time, the kids had floated away, had floated away due due to the current of the river or the lake that we're in. I don't know why the mom didn't scoop them up immediately. Maybe she was so terrified. Anyways, the kids floated away and the authorities get there and they never found the bodies. They never found the bodies of these two kids who broke their necks in the lake. So for years... The mother, despondent, right? She watched her two children die in front of her. Every day, they say, she would go to this lake. And she would walk around being like, kids, where are you? Kids, kids. And she would walk around the beach 
not expecting her kids to say something back. She just wanted to find their bodies. She wanted to put their bodies to rest, but she can never find them. And people say, to this day, as you're driving down Old Lake Road, late at night, you may see the phantom of a young mother walking down the street, crying out for her children. Crying out for children she couldn't even find in death. Which is a creepy component to the story. That's not all. We're still going to hang out at the lake because there's another even creepier ghost story here. But obviously there's an element of urban legend to this. We don't have specific names. It's like, we don't know when this took place. La 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 la. We've covered these. These are the ghost stories that kind of border into urban legends. But there is something particularly terrifying if you think like the children. And this seems to be, I never thought about this before because I come across this a lot in ghost lore. Where you have a lover die, or the children die, whatever, in this area, and then the forlorn woman is walking around looking for her lost lover. His head got blown off during the Civil War, and she went to the battlefield, she couldn't find him. And now her spirit still walks around. Or in this case, and this is a very popular trope as well, the kids die and the mother still walking around the house, or walking through the forest, or at this point walking down the shore, looking for her lost children, and you think... It's terrifying that they don't even find the spirits in death. Because the kids died. It's not like the kids are still alive. They just swam to the other shore. They're like, we're going to have a new life together. The children died in this location. The mom's looking for them in this location, but she still can't find them, even though at this point they're all dead. Now, obviously, this is that type of ghost that could be just a recording Right, Someone's in so much misery, someone has so much heartache that they soaked the environment with their psychic residue. So it's not a ghost you could interact with. It's just a ghost walking down the street screaming for her children. But then there's also the option, and this one's a little, a little scarier. I think in ghost lore, there's that idea of not having a fulfilled your mission on Earth, having something you've always wanted to achieve and not being able to achieve it. The children didn't have that. Right? The children broke their necks, and they're like, well, that sucked. I'm supposed to go to Tommy's birthday party tomorrow, but whatever. I have a broken neck. What am I going to do? And then they go to heaven. They don't have these long, drawn-out heartaches, and I don't know what to do without my kids, blah, blah, blah. Because they are the kids, right? So they both break their necks, and then they have a race to heaven. Look at me. I'm the fastest angel around. Come back, Bobby. I'm the fastest. They go to heaven. But the mom never went to the afterlife, right? The mom is so torn up about losing her kids that had she... This this isn't a therapy podcast, right? But had she accepted the loss and moved on, um, maybe she would have gone to heaven. That's that's super super not nice. I'm trying to think of the right word for it, right? That's super not nice. But, you know, like the fact that callous was the word I was looking for. She... She could have accepted that they had moved on, and then when she died, she had moved on herself. You know what I mean? Like, had she accepted it, maybe her spirit would have moved on as well. That's actually, now that I'm saying that, super callous, right? It's super callous. But in this particular event, not in any other event, not in anything you might be going through, it's, 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 it is like, had she accepted that and moved on. Not like found other kids. Actually, that's a good segue for our next one. Let's go ahead before I dig myself into a bigger hole with my brand new knife. Christina, let's hop in the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to row, row, row on out. We're still at Lake Yosemite. Out to Girl Scout 
Island. Splashy, splashy, rowing those oars all the way out to Girl Scouts Island. Now it's called Scouts Island. Now it's no longer Girl Scouts. So I don't know if the Boy Scouts are finally allowed there. I don't know if the war has ceased. They have made peace on this island. But Scouts Island, if you want to check it out now. Again, we have a story that goes back. Very urban legend as far as the lore goes. We don't know when this took place. We don't know the names of the people. But this one... This one has an interesting twist to it. Back on, back in the, let's say the, let's let's update this one. Let's say this is back in the 90s, right? Back in the 1990s, a mother and her daughter were at Girl Scout Island. And while all the other Girl Scouts were asleep, and I'm assuming the Scoutmasters, is that what they're called? Girl Scoutmasters? When the uh, Girl Scouts and their masters are asleep, this mom, she goes, hey, you know what? You know what, dear daughter of mine? You've done so good raising yourself without breaking your neck. I'm going to reward you with a trip, a moonlight stroll in this rowboat I happen to have. So the mother and the daughter get in the rowboat, and she's rowing out into Lake Yosemite. And a whirlpool appears. And the water starts going around and around. And the boat starts spinning around and around. They didn't see this. Apparently, this is something that can happen naturally or not. A whirlpool just appears. <laughs> Ursula's down there. She's like, ah, yes, more kelp. More kelp for my army. A whirlpool A whirlpool appears, and the boat starts spinning around and around, and the daughter fly, like falls out of the boat. Ah! And she gets sucked in by the whirlpool. Now, this whirlpool is so, like, strong... It actually flips the boat as well. So now the mom is swimming in the darkness. She's screaming for help. Her daughter is underwater. There's no, there's no merit badge for how to survive a whirlpool, right? And she's trying to rescue her daughter, but she can't. In the darkness of the lake, she can't even find her. But eventually she does. This is one where the she didn't she didn't turn into kelp. She didn't turn into a piece of seaweed. Her dead body simply floated to the surface. But the mother also was still completely freaked out about this and through the rest of her life was always looking for her daughter, right? I mean, she knew where she was. She was buried in some sort of cemetery, but I think she was. I think the point was she was crazy. No one was like, hey, I know you're really looking for Margaret. You might want to go down to Clear Valley Green, the cemetery she's buried at. No, she would walk around Girl Scouts Island Looking for her daughter. Until she died. And now she's a ghost on Girl Scout Island. So, today, this is how the ghost story goes. In modern times, what will happen is, you will be sleeping in your tent. Uh, this You can rent out this island for like 50 bucks a night. But it says you have to be... A kid. <laughs> They're like, kid, do you have a credit card? It has to only be for, like, kid-slash-scouting events. So we couldn't do it. That would be dope to rent out an island. That seems pretty reasonable. 50 bucks to own an island for a night? <laughs> like, Jason, you don't get to own it. You don't get to build a house build a house in one night. But, you know, like, just to camp on an island for 50 bucks, that's cheaper than a hotel. Anyways, I'm not a scout, so I can't do it. But the scouts can. 50 bucks a night. That sounds super reasonable now that you think about it, because you pay 50 bucks, and then you fill it with as many scouts as you can. Like, you can have them just all standing up. You can have hundreds of them on this island. Anyways, uh, <laughs> as I put my master plan into the side, you have Scout Island, 
And they'll say late at night when the Girl Scouts are sleeping in their tent, the zipper of their tent, this is so terrifying, the zipper of their tent will go, and a ghost, a ghost of this mother will peel back the tent with her fingers and stick her head in the flap and look. Look in your tent. Looking for her daughter. They also say that she'll play with the girl's hair, like she'll brush the girl's hair while they're in the tent and sing them songs. Which I can't imagine if if, if you were a kid, if you were an adult, and your tent unzipped and a ghost stuck their head in your tent, I imagine just everyone immediately would run out through the ghost, get ectoplasm all over you. I don't think you'd be like, oh, I'm going to see where this goes. And then she crawls in, she's brushing your hair, singing new songs. You're like, Jason, that sounds way more pleasant than running through a ghost woman and getting covered in ectoplasm. Here's my theory with this story. There is a real issue in the ghost community where I believe, because we have seen this, we've seen psychics make this mistake a lot as well. You'll have an actual haunting, you'll have an actual ghost in an area, and then people go, where did this ghost come from? Who is this ghost? And they will make up a story. They will fill in the details. So they'll say, well, this ghost looks like dressed in pioneer woman's clothes in the middle of Nebraska. She's in this old house. Let's see what we can find in the family records. Oh, a woman died in this house back in the... What period of clothes did I say? I already forgot. Pioneer, is that what I said? Pilgrim walks in, big old hat, buckled shoes, and you go, oh, that he must have died on Thanksgiving Eve. He didn't even get a slice of that turkey. We make up the details, and we'll put together kind of like shoddy research and things like that. We tell a story. So when this ghost woman is sticking her head in the tent... We don't have the name of the woman who this happened to. We don't have the year. We don't know when this kid died. All this stuff. So it's possible that there is a ghost on Girl Scout. This is also possible. <laughs> this is a made-up story to scare Girl Scouts into going to sleep. But if there is a ghost on Girl Scout Island, unzipping your tent and sticking their head inside, the idea of her being a mother who lost her kid, we don't, we don't know if any of that's true. We've seen this before in Ghost stories where people make up the past this might be some crazy perverted woman ghost like who has some horrible hair fetish and a singing fetish they always wanted to be on american idol who knows like this i you think it's like oh a loving mother who lost her daughter so now she's going to play with your daughter's hair but if, if you were like walking down the street and somebody walked up to your daughter and started brushing her hair you would be like dude get away and you're like whoa my daughter died i just want to brush your daughter's hair You'd be like, okay, that's horrible. And also, you're a maniac. Stay away from my kid. Like, even if the origin story is real, it's kind of creepy. But what if this ghost just has, like, this weird, like, Girl Scout hair fetish or something like that? Like, who's to say that that's the actual backstory and they either don't know or you wouldn't tell a kid that, right? Someone's like, hey, I saw a ghost in my tent last night and it brushed my hair. The cub master, whatever they're called, will be like, uh, that was a friendly ghost. <laughs> that was a friendly ghost. And um, just let's not talk about it anymore because they would know it was a big old pervert ghost. Who knows, right? 
It's probably the first one. It's probably a mother who lost her daughter. But I read that and I go, who knows? Like, isn't that creepy? Like, your tent gets zipped up and a woman sticks her head in and she's looking around your tent. And, like, what if she just really has, like, some insidious backstory? Like, some horribly dark origin. And you don't know. You go, oh, that's just the kindly mother who lost her daughter. And you're like, do you want to come in our tent? And she, like, slowly walks in. I mean, I guess the worst she does, I guess despite what her creepy origin story may be, the worst she does is brush your hair. But maybe she does a bad job. Maybe you have all these knots in your hair. You're like, ah, ah. And she sings terrible songs. You're like, oh, no, no more Clay Aiken, please. Christina, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Girl Scout Island. Bumping a little clay ache in ourselves as we're flying out. Take us all the way out to Ashland, Oregon. I have a friend, longtime listeners of the show know I have a friend named Sabine. We hang out a lot. But it's funny because we couldn't be more different as far as this subject matter goes for this podcast, right? She is super pragmatic. To the point that I think she completely ignores things, like evidence, evidence stuff. I imagine when Fox Mulder and Dana Scully were doing, like, assignments, he Fox Mulder probably got really, really irritated at Scully a lot because, like, an alien, an alien would be, like, shooting with lasers, and she's like, I don't know, they could just be mirrors, and there could be the sun bouncing off the mirrors, and the, the sun could have put a baby in my stomach and then abducted the baby. Scully, come on, like, obviously there's aliens and ghosts and stuff like that. You see it every night. Now, I'm not that irritated at Sabine, but it's so interesting. We went to go see that movie The North Man together. Which is like a fantasy film. I expected it to be like a a historical drama, like 300. But no, it's a fantasy film where the characters like the great Norse gods actually have their fingers in the plot. They're doing things. And at one point, this old woman gets wrapped up in the intestines of a man. Like she's literally like suspended from the ceiling like a yo-yo. And I was like, oh, dude, Odin doesn't mess around. He really wanted to wrap up that old witch. It was a witch. With organs, and she's like, oh, it must have been a guy who did that. I was like, what guy? What guy could have possibly have done that? There was no one around to do that. The star, the North man, Charles North, he also had a sword that he got from a zombie that could only be pulled out of its sheath at night. I go, well, how, how, how did you, didn't you think it was weird that every time someone tried to pull it out during the day, it wouldn't pull out, but then at night he could pull it out and kill a bunch of people? She's like, I can't. she didn't pay attention to that part, apparently. She's like, oh, I don't remember that. I don't remember that key line. So she's super pragmatic. and But that's the type of person Sabine is. Super pragmatic, super practical. Now, she also says her house is haunted. So she believes in ghosts. And she doesn't take, like, human medicine. She takes, like, thorn whistle and, like, peacock juice or whatever. You know, like, all that hippy-dippy homeopathic stuff as well. So she believes that hippies can apparently cure pain, even though Western medicine can't. She believes in ghosts. But she doesn't believe in monsters. She doesn't believe in wizards. You're like, Jason, I don't believe in that stuff either. Now you're on the further extreme. Super pragmatic person. And really, throughout her life, you know, she says, I live in a haunted house. 
But other than that, other than that, other than that insane claim, now that I think about it, she's, I guess she's not that practical, but, but out of her entire life, there is one story that she simply can't explain and very, very terrifying experience. Let's go back to the year, roughly, we're back in the year 1998. Sabine is a 22-year-old woman, and she decides to take her dog, Sage, out for a walk. And where she's going is the Ashland Dog Park, which is located on Briggs Lane in Ashland, Oregon. It was a full moon out, so the landscape was completely illuminated. And Sage was this big, giant, white dog. That she goes, she just glowed in the moonlight. This big giant white dog, she told me the breed, but I don't remember. It's like a yellow lab mixed with the Similarian or mixed with something else. She's mixed with the one ring. I forgot what she was mixed with, but she's this big giant white dog. And Sabine and Sage go out to this dog park. They have to climb over a fence. She rode her bike out there and they climb over this little fence. They're not supposed to be there. It's late at night. They're only there. But they're at this dog park, and Sage is out just kind of doing what dogs do, having fun in the middle of the night. Now, Sabine was out there for a little bit, right? 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. She's not entirely for sure, but she was out there for a while, right? Sage is running around, and then all of a sudden, Sabine feels something. And she's standing there in the darkness, but the full moon is completely lighting up the entire area. She feels something out there. Sabine begins to feel that her life is in danger. It's a full-on from like 0 to 12 right away. She's standing out there just enjoying some time with her dog. And then all of a sudden, she 100% is under the impression that something is watching her with the intent of doing her harm. It's a full-on, I'm about to be attacked. The landscape is completely illuminated. She's turning and she's looking everywhere. And she can't see any movement. She can't see any silhouette out of place. The only location where she can't clearly get a good view is there's a creek nearby. There's like a little goalie, and there's a creek. And she immediately goes, whatever wants me is down there. It's down there, because that's the only place that I can't see. And I clearly know that something is in this area that wants to do me harm. I feel the caveman-like instinct of survival against some sort of unknown predator. I feel it. I know this is going to happen. And while she is processing all of this, Sage begins to feel it too. Sage is a good guard dog. Sage has always been there getting in between Sabine and some sort of threat. He's a brave dog. If it sensed something was wrong, it was right there before the threat could even get close to Sabine. So when Sage picks up on this threat, full guard dog mode activated. She watches Sage as he begins to snarl. 
showing off those massive, mighty dog fangs. Canines, actually, is is what they're called. But what strikes her as odd is that Sage doesn't immediately run out towards the creek. Because that's where the threat's coming from. There have been times where Sabine's walking with her dog, and Sage will take off, go to a bend in a trail. Sabine's like, what? I want to... Sage, come back, come back. And then eventually, two hikers walked by and were coming in the opposite direction. And Sage ran off to be able to eyeball them before they could present a threat. Like, Sage will go to head off an assault. But Sage didn't immediately run off towards the creek, and that struck her as odd because she knew that's where the threat had to be coming from. There was nowhere else around her where someone could be hiding, or an animal could be hiding, or anything. What Sage begins to do is patrol. He begins to walk in this very, very wide circle around her, growling, snarling the entire way. Sabine's watching him walk in this giant circle, and that's when she realizes this isn't coming from the creek. He would have been out there. He would have put a stop to this, or he would have made sure he was there between whatever it was and her but he's on this large circular patrol. She realizes, whatever this is, this isn't at the creek. Whatever this is, Sage doesn't know where it's at either. Sabine's watching Sage make this large patrol, and she's thinking, could it be a group of people? Like, what could this possibly be? Like, why does he keep moving around me like this? Is there a group of people, a pack of animals? But at this point, there's still no visual on this threat. Now, obviously, having a giant white dog may kind of make someone a little more cautious about coming after you. But where's it coming from? If it was a human, Sage would have been right there. If it was an animal, Sage would have been right there, but he's walking this patrol. And then Sabine begins to notice that this circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now Sage is still ready for war, snarling and growling and gnashing its teeth, ready to scare off Anything that comes too close, and if it keeps coming, to rend flesh. But the circle's getting smaller, and smaller, and smaller. Sage is worried. Sage has no idea where this threat is coming from. So he's getting as close as he can to his master. Sabine's still standing there trying to make sense of this, until eventually... Her great protector, this dog who has stood between her and many threats throughout the years, is rubbing up against her legs. The circle has become so tight, he's literally just turning a quick circle right around her legs. He's rubbing up against her, and the snarling has turned to whimpering. Sage is terrified. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know where it is. But he does know he can't protect Sabine. So Sabine realizes this situation has completely gotten out of control. And yet she doesn't know what the situation is. 
And she stands there and she says to Sage, When I say run, buddy, we run. Sabine yells out, run. And within an instant, both her and her dog are barreling full force towards that fence. She has to open it up. Sage runs out. She hops on her bike and they both head home as fast as they can. I talked to Sabine about the story. I find this so fascinating because other than the fact that she says there's ghosts in her house, she is super practical. I mean, like, if you ask her about aliens, she'll be like, yeah, sure, the universe is a big place or anything like that. But as far as, like, alien abductions, as far as monsters or wizards or anything else that I talk about on a daily basis, she's like, she enjoys the stories, right? She enjoys the stories. She enjoys the weirdness. But she doesn't really believe it. And she's a very practical, logical person. And she grew up in a very practical, logical family. So when she experienced this, I've asked, like, what do you think it was? And she goes, I don't know. She goes, but I know this. It wasn't flesh and blood. It was not flesh and blood. I don't know what it was. But if it was something that was alive, Sage wouldn't have reacted like that. Now, I could keep throwing out stuff as like, do you think it was a ghost or a demon? She's like, Jason, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. But this is very telling, though, because even though when she went into that moment and when it was going on, she was still thinking this is some sort of physical threat, i.e. a human or an animal. But as Sage's behavior got more and more odd, and she started being able to check off every possible thing it could be, and it came to what it, as far as her logical brain would say, couldn't be, I said, I go, you were looking around to see if you could see anything. I go, at any point, did you look up? And she says, I mean, almost, I don't want to say like ashamed, ashamed, but there was kind of like a, an odd emotion when she said this. I go, did you look up? And she kind of paused and she's like, yeah, at a certain point I looked up. Because obviously a logical person wouldn't think there was a UFO floating overhead. Right? But when she had run out of options of what it could realistically be, at a certain point she looked up to see. I go, what did you expect to see? She goes, I don't know. But I looked up. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story of an event of someone who really doesn't believe in any of this stuff. Ghosts, sure. But some sort of like demonic force or some sort of creature cryptid something hunting you through the darkness right aliens this kind of secondary but most people believe in ghosts it's like 70 percent of america believes in ghosts but when you start talking about aliens visiting earth the the percentages get much lower or cryptids monsters really existing it gets very low especially monsters that can do you harm loch ness monster people be like sure bigfoot maybe but when you're talking about some sort of creature in the darkness that can hurt you that's far, percentage-wise, far less likely that people believe in that. So it's like, that would be where I was at. And it's funny, because you know, I'm, I'm a friend of hers, so I'm able to ask her these questions. I said, what would you have done if Sage wasn't there? She goes, y you know, it's interesting, because do you listen to that gut feeling that you're in a dangerous situation? Some people do, and some people don't. And she goes, there's the chance that I would have had this overwhelming sense of fear that gripped her. From the moment she first sensed this until she was on her bike racing away from the dog park. Like, it never abated. She was always felt like she was under threat. 
She goes, if I wasn't there with Sage, I might have just written that off, right? If I have, there'd be no reason for me to be. She actually said, she goes, why would I go to a dog park at late at night by myself, Jason? I go, well, just saying. She goes, if I wasn't there with Sage, there's a chance that I would have just ignored that feeling. But when she saw the dog also having such weird behavior, now it's definitely real. Dogs don't have a sense of imagination. They don't have a sense of wonderment or fear of the unknown. The dog's reacting to a definite real sensation. It's not an anxiety attack. It's not paranoia. The dog's reacting to it. So what was that in the darkness? Who knows? But the story may not end there. November 19th, 2011. About three miles away from this dog park. There's a bike path. And really, they kind of intersect at a lot of points. Like, you have the creek that kind of cuts through this entire area. And the bike path is along the creek at one point, And the dog path is by the creek. And you just kind of have this creek moving through this area. November 19th, 2011, there was a young man named David Grubbs, a 23-year-old retail employee, walking along this bike path late at night near this same creek, was attacked by something so viciously... It almost completely severed his head. There were no defensive wounds. He was found the next morning by someone also going down this bike path. He was laying down and they thought maybe he had fallen down and gone to sleep until they got close enough to realize that his head was almost completely removed from his body. He had no defensive wounds. They have no idea what the murder weapon was. They say it was something longer than a knife. Originally, they thought it might have been a sword. They've also thought it was a machete, possibly. They just don't know what the murder weapon was. To this day, this murder has never been solved. Now, if you're in a big city, you're like, that doesn't even make the newspaper anymore. Big cities have multiple murders a week. 2011, this guy was murdered in Ashland. The previous murders, there was two of them. They were both like tied to these people going insane. Ashland had two previous murders in 2004, and the murder before that was in 96. So Ashland, Oregon is not a place that has a ton of murders. It's where where the Shakespeare Festival is. The murders normally only take place on stage. And the police, they don't know who murdered David Grubbs, and they've actually looked at someone who took the Ren Fair, you know, the Renaissance Fair, too seriously. And attacked David with a sword. With a medieval sword. Or it was some crazy actor, right? Killed him with a sword. Or they don't even know if it's a sword. They keep saying it was a long blade. They were even looking into a link that he was a big part of the online gaming community surrounding Assassin's Creed. I was like, I didn't know there was a... Is that a thing? I mean, I know Assassin's Creed is a thing, but I didn't know there was a gaming community around. It's not really a multiplayer, but... They're trying to figure out what... Who killed this guy? It's an 11-year-old case. They don't know who killed him. They don't know how he was killed. And they said he was a big dude. They go, this wasn't someone you would think would be picked for just a random murder. But yet, here it is. This young man nearly decapitated by what, according to news reports, seems like just one swipe. They didn't even know what was coming. Now some might say it's t- some might say it's tasteless to combine a real world true crime story 
with a bizarre event that happened a decade earlier, two decades earlier almost, right? Some might find that insensitive. Some might find that cyberbullying. But that's not the point. The point is, is that what is in this area? Like, I guess it maybe is insensitive because I'm going to start saying a ghoul attacked him, but is it the same thing? Is there something in this area that kills, right? That it's not a guy with a sword, it's not a guy with a machete, but it's something far darker and really even more unexplainable than that. Like, what what, what happened to Sabine? What was something that could scare such a logical person? What could be out there? Like, what could be... What, what could scare a logical person? And it's not even that. Remember, the dog was reacting to it as well. It's such a terrifying story, and I don't know if the two are related. But they they very well could be. They very well couldn't. They very well couldn't be. But the fact that you had someone experience such a dramatic feeling of dread and doom and fear, and the dog felt it too, and the dog didn't know where the energy was coming from, didn't know where the threat was coming from, to the point that eventually it laid down its mantle as protector and just wanted to leave. What could possibly do that? Is it the same thing that could decapitate a man in one surprise strike? I'm curious if there's other events like this out. I don't know what else has gotten their head chopped off, but I wonder if other people have also sensed this dark energy in this area. And have maybe told the story to their friends and their family, right? Sabine doesn't have a podcast or a newsletter or nothing like that. She would just tell this story to people. She's never reported this to any ghost hunting organization or anything like that. So are there multiple stories? Are there multiple encounters of something like that out there? I would love to find out. And is it possible that when Sabine felt that terror and she had that dog with her and she could see that the dog was also sensing that terror, that got her to leave? But David walking alone, when he felt that fear, he just said, I'm just being paranoid. I've walked this bike trail a hundred times. I'll be fine. What hides in the darkness along the Ashland bike path? Who knows? But this is one demonic force I'm in no hurry to face down myself. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.